0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday was Media Watch's first offering since we went on a break last Christmas. But we were keeping our eyes and ears on what was going on in the media during the summer silly season. One item is in hot demand. The Panadol section is actually not a single Panadol. There's just nothing. There's no lozenges, no lozenges. That was a woman called Jan on Morning Report last Monday, talking to RNZ reporter Jordan Bond in an Auckland supermarket the morning after we all went into the red at midnight last Sunday. Now, along with everyone else's, journalists' hearts sank with that announcement, At the prospect of the COVID crisis in the headlines every single day for the foreseeable future, again. And reporting stuff like the panic purchasing of paracetamol at pack and save, again. This time, it's because Omicron is here, ready or not. And there's been quite a lot of comment and reporting in the media lately about how we're really not. Not for the upcoming big sick, with as much as a third of a million of us possibly out of circulation all at once at its peak. And as newsroom's Joe Moyer pointed out last Monday, not for coming face-to-face with COVID. For most of us, it's been an as-seen-on-TV thing so far, from places so far away. This week there's also been handy how-to guides and -and cut-out-and-keep type stuff in the media about how to deal with Omicron as and when we catch it. And there's also complacency to confront too. As of last week, just over half of us eligible had bothered to get boosted. And then there are those actively undermining the effort. Last month, News Hub exposed a doctor in Kaiapoi doling out dodgy COVID exceptions, she's now pivoted to making chocolate, and this week stuff's Martin Van Bainen exposed a Rangiora signwriter printing fake vaccine passes for Koha, claiming it wasn't illegal. Still, the silver lining in all of this is that the vast bulk of us are better protected now. Last year, the so-called year of the vaccine, the initial target to get beyond lockdowns was 90% of eligible people, double jabbed across all DHBs. And at the time, ZB's vocal sceptic Mike Hosking reckoned we'd hit a wall of resistance before 80%. Here's the cold hard reality. If they're going to stick hard and fast to 90%, as much as I'd like to say otherwise, we are not getting there. Uh, they're having a rah-rah vaccine day this weekend. What result are they looking for? Who would know? And if we don't know, when is the end? And if they hit a wall of resistance, then what? Who would know? Well, we knew the wall was pretty puny when we did hit 90% of eligible people vaxxed before Christmas and didn't stop there. On January the 9th in the New Year, for example, RNZ reported this.
0: Auckland is just 3% short of having 100% of its eligible population fully vaccinated against COVID-19.
1: And 97% is a remarkable figure. And it ran through the day in RNZ's news that day, and News Hub and others shared the news as well. But in fact... Only one of three DHBs in the Auckland region, the smallest one, had hit that level. The average across all Aucklanders was more like 93%. RNZ's website later acknowledged, It was based on a statement from the Ministry of Health, which has since issued a correction. But even though that was a bit misleading, it wasn't deliberate unlike this bid to get the media to report bad stuff about our COVID response. I'm hiding
0: something like five bids collapsing. I'm sure the, DHB, the I'm sure DHB will put it. I'm sure
1: the DHB will put it release out of it in the case.
0: Oh, OK. Yeah. So yeah. Are you are investigating as reporters? Because that's the role of a reporter. To
1: investigate, wouldn't you be going back in there and That's former TVNZ and RNZ host Liz Gunn, now a full-blown and full-throated conspiracy theorist. There, her fellow travelers were filming her harassing a TVNZ reporter on the street about why the media failed to report children collapsing after getting pediatric doses of the COVID vaccine. But the reason that wasn't in the news was it was rubbish. Gunn and many others had no evidence for the lie that they pushed hard on social media. Now, her profile as a former news personality did, however, have the effect of highlighting that fake news as well as the disturbing intimidation she deployed disseminating it. And that's something ZB's Marcus Lush warned his nighttime listeners about in the middle of this month.
0: The people that run the event have said it's not true, and the Ministry of Health has said it's not true. As we say, as we always say, just get your news
1: from reputable news outlets. And among them was the New Zealand Herald, who not only debunked those rumours, but also chronicled what it called the sad descent down the rabbit hole of Liz Gunn while they were at it. Though she wasn't the only one ramping up fears about our kids for their own ends. And uh, and I'll take that school apart. If you go in there with your wagon, I'll tow your wagon away and I'll get the boys to blow it up. You And all your syringes will run you out of town. Every school you try to go to, every parent that you try to bewitch. Brian Tamaki, once a self-appointed bishop, now a self-proclaimed apostle, also tagged as the apostle by critics highlighting his ability to crowdfund from his own congregation. Now, at the time of that rant in Christchurch, he was on bail after organising other illegal protests. And when the police finally came to arrest him after that, the Herald's investigative reporter David Fisher was actually at Brian's place at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And catching those scenes was a bit of a bonus after Brian Tamaki refused to be interviewed by the Herald that day on what he said were his lawyer's orders. Though that left David Fisher wondering why Brian hadn't taken to heart any legal advice about the consequences of breaching bail by turning up to and racking up further protests after his first arrest last month. Now the COVID misinformation that Brian Tamaki and others have spread has certainly been taken to heart by some. The classic example I get is, do your own research. You know what, I could read
0: a scientific paper about Pfizer and I've had a look at a few of them and they're hard going. And if you don't understand the context on how research make it happens, this is a classic example when people read the adverse events. They don't even understand the context of what the reports of adverse events are. So where do we go if we toss out the science? And how did you make your decision to get your children vaccinated? Did you sort of do your own research?
1: Or did you maybe listen to your GP? ZB Summer Mornings host Tim Beveridge there on January the 18th probably regretting his decision to ask the do-your-own-research crowd what they reckoned about vaccines for kids.
0: Do we not trust the Medsafe? Do we not trust the CDC in the States? Which has pretty high rigorous um, uh, methods of determining when something is safe. What we? Where, where are we left? It's just with our reckons. Oh, I reckon I heard from someone down the street, which is pretty much what social media is.
1: And that was pretty much what his show became once Tim Beveridge put that question out
0: there. Because CDC is largely funded by the pharmaceutical companies, whereas the JVCI is a government-appointed body of experts. So mm. not and what about MedSafe over yeah. here? Well, I think MedSafe is out of its depth, to be quite honest.
1: Now, that caller, John, said he had two science degrees, as well as two COVID jabs, and he said that he knew what he was talking about when he said that the UK's Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation didn't recommend blanket vaccination of under-15s there. And that was true last month. But in the new year, the UK's government said the committee was revising that with the spread of Omicron in mind. And John was way off about the Centre for Disease Control in the US being big pharma funded. Only 35 million US dollars of its annual budget comes from foundational grants or direct gifts, while 8 billion dollars of it comes from the US government in congressional appropriations. Next up on ZB that day was Ray, who took her lead from personal experience of heart surgery, word of mouth and YouTube.
0: I did my research um, on the vaccine and because of the woman who, it was her idea and she fought for it, lost her job and everything like this. And I thought, this lady wouldn't have done this for 50 years if she didn't believe in it. But I have no trust in the FDA Mm. or MedSafe. Why not? Um, have you watched the documentary Goat Stick? No, no, I haven't watched the de- documentary. Well, there, there, there's a few of those um, sort of programs. I do not trust the FDA and Medsafe. Why should we wait for them when um Therapeutic Goods Act has already said it's okay? FDA said it, they're all What uh, well,
1: Ray? Sorry, we're losing you there. Seems we actually lost Ray quite a while ago. Plenty more where she came from, though, on News Talk ZB, looking in similar places online.
0: Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. Um, just on the research touch of things, um, are people aware that this whole pandemic can be found on the World Economic Forum website? Great. Thanks, Cap- thanks Gary. We'll look up the plandemic. Uh, Gary obviously lied to my producer there, um, but it doesn't get very far. I mean, the plandemic, give me a break.
1: God's sakes. News Talk ZB's Tim Beveridge there pleading for a break barely half an hour after asking the audience for their reckons. Though he did do a quick bit of his own research on the claims of caller John. And the Joint Commission on Va-
0: Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation in the UK has recommended vaccinations for about 330,000 younger children and also those living with someone who is immunosuppressed. So the argument of protecting your communities, they are going along with that as well and talks about the dose that's been given and that they will be reviewing it. And it's expected that they will approve the vaccine rollout among primary aged children in about a month. That was written mid-December. So just for a bit of, um, just for a bit of uh,
1: added context on that. Always an idea to chuck in a fact or two amongst the reckons. A frustrated Tim Beveridge then pointed out that although the anti-vax minority is vocal and very cranky, there aren't actually all that many of them.
0: Uh, I can tell you from the text machine that the people who are triggered by this are the one or two percent who haven't got vaccinated, very triggered by it. So maybe, you know, have a cup of tea and a lie down.
1: However, the anti-vaxxers who fill the airtime on talk radio are not likely to take that advice either. And although they're a minority, there are plenty more in the pipeline with cherry-picked information and half-understood pseudoscience. And UV penetrates everywhere, it can go everywhere, it can get into places that uh... You can't wipe.
0: No, well, look, John, everyone should be back at work in the next week or two, so try
1: getting in touch again. There was another caller called John telling host Francesca Rudkin last weekend that flooding MIQ with virus-killing UV light was the obvious answer, something Donald Trump once suggested when he was the president. But when the BBC asked if this really could work, the boss of a specialist supplier to hospitals told them the one type of UV that could kill COVID is the deadly one that's filtered out by ozone in our atmosphere. You would literally be frying people. UVC is really nasty stuff. If your eyes are exposed, you know that gritty feeling you get if you look at the sun? It's like that times ten, just after a
0: few seconds.
1: Now while getting COVIDiots on the line was no problem on talk radio, the Prime Minister's partner got called a bit of an idiot too, after a pharmacy in Tauranga called him to say that a DJ mate of his was in the house, wanting a rapid antigen test.
0: Well, I read a little bit about it yesterday and I thought, oh God, what an idiot.
1: (laughs) Um, And I thought to myself, wonder how big
0: a story this will be. And then I I got my physical copy of the New Zealand Herald and there's a, uh, well, it's probably about a foot high image of Clark Gayford.
1: That did indeed spark a summer mini scandal back in mid-January when Clark Gayford apologised for causing confusion. Though he didn't address the claims of COVID corruption coming from political critics and talkback callers. And hosts.
0: Um, I'd just like to say I, I'm mm. quite disgusted about this Clark Gayford thing. Obviously, that DJ has friends in influ- influential places. Is that how he got in three times? Um, and well, I think that power does corrupt, and obviously Gayford is easy, easily corrupted. That was a dick move, um, and he's realised it was a dick move, and he's apologised for said dick move,
1: and we've all made dick moves at some point in our lives. But whether it was a super scandal or a simple dick move, this was the point, according to ZB's Tim Beveridge. You know, how should the partners of Prime Ministers conduct themselves? Should they exclude themselves from Twitter? Should they exclude themselves from political conversations? I don't think so. Meanwhile in the Herald, senior political reporter Thomas Coghlan harked back to the Roman regime, quoting the maxim, Caesar's wife must be above suspicion. In secular New Zealand, where the COVID response is the closest thing we have to a state religion, it would be wise for political spouses to be as far away from the grit of the response as possible. And after that, News Talk ZB's Tim Dower cited another political COVID controversy earlier in the summer when chatting about the Prime Minister's partner to National's COVID response spokesperson Chris Bishop.
0: On the scale of offending, how does it compare to a National MP going to an anti vax rally? <laughs>
1: A lot of people make up their own mind about things. Um. It was National's controversial list MP Herete Hapango herself who drew attention to her own attendance at that anti-vax rally in Fanganui, not for the first time, in a Facebook post with a photo of her smiling in front of slogans from the anti-vax protest group Voices for Freedom. But after her leader Christopher Luxon rang up, she deleted the post and said this instead.
0: It has been pointed out to me that it could convey an anti-vaccination message
1: which was never my intention. Though when the Herald's David Fisher trawled through her social media comments, he found dark accusations of government cover-ups in pursuit of sinister objectives and people who favoured freedom being unjustly labelled, she said, as anti-vaxxers. Harita Hipango's support of liberty became a liability for her leader, who said there'll be no more messages inconsistent with the party's vaccination stance in the future. Now in an editorial last week, the New Zealand Herald said it hoped for a similar pivot from Brian Tamaki, who the paper said had painted himself into a corner, or more precisely, a remand cell, though he got out of that last Wednesday and back home to a 24-hour curfew after successfully challenging his judge's no-bail ruling. The Herald reckoned, though, that now might be a good time for Brian Tamaki to walk the talk of Destiny Church's Man Up programme, which the Apostle himself says puts men on the wrong path back on the straight and narrow. His followers might even follow suit if he did, the Herald hoped wishfully. And the fact that anti-vaxxers are now on the outer, even though they make big news, was something ZB's Marcus Lush tried to point out the same night to a Brian Tamaki supporter called Joe. How's that
0: worked out for Bishop Tamaki? He, look, he loves God. He's in jail. He's got jo- people who can't, can't play the game he loves. he's in jail. I mean, these are your heroes, Joe. Not working out so well for them, is it? The Omicron is not serious. You're not serious, Joe. Joe, can you promise me one thing? Yeah. Never ring again. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Appreciate it.
1: If only dealing with all anti-vax outliers in the media was so simple.